Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Mariana. And Elizabeth. Hello. 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 We have a tiny podcaster with us today, too. Hey, tiny podcaster. <laughs> Listen and learn. He would like to talk about books. Oh, uh, I'm sure he would. Ben, <laughs> what are your favorite books? Um, right now, it's Llama Llama Red Pajama. <laughs> and then we have a Curious George Opposites book. Uh, you know, I never really got into Curious George, even as a kid. I didn't either, but I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite kid shows. If oh, I really? Get to, yeah, if I get to pick, that's what I pick. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Because, it, I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit... Did you read Amelia Bedelia growing up? No. Oh. Do you know Amelia Bedelia? Yes. Yes. So she takes things every... Everything literally, right? And right. She gets into all this trouble. So that's... <coughs> excuse me. That's the same thing that kind of happens to George is he ends up in these trouble situations and... Because he's so curious about stuff. Uh-huh. So that's one of the reasons I like it. It's got a little adventure and problem solving and those kinds of things. So what's Cute. not to like? Plus, it's a monkey. It is a monkey. It is a monkey. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm 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 sleepy this week. I've been burning the candle at both ends trying to get stuff done. Because you're going somewhere? Yeah, well, we're going down to L.A. this weekend, so. Yay! Yay, Road LA. trip! Going to go to Disneyland and going to hang out in some of our old haunts because we used to live in L.A., so. And what did you do while you were in L.A.? Were you a famous movie star that we don't know about? <laughs> of course. The paparazzi followed me everywhere. No, um, uh, for a while I worked for... Um, Let's see. Well, I worked for the Vineyard Christian Fellowship Church as their office manager for quite some time. And then after I stopped doing that, I got my first um, job in the book industry, which was uh, working for Barnes & Noble as their children's lead for a new store that they opened um, in, like, West L.A. So I helped open a store. I helped, like, stock it. And then I helped sort of manage the employees even though I wasn't technically a manager but yeah so this is interesting uh Barnes and Noble is offering a summer reading program this summer and if you uh-huh. read a certain number of books you get a free book nice yeah what, what book are they giving up for free or do they have like a, a credit or something uh no I think it's like five books that you can read I mean five books that you can choose from oh cool uh, so you have to read a certain number, but they do it, I think, per grade level, which mm-hmm. is interesting, right? So this is the big thing in summer reading, but also in reading instruction in schools right now is reading level, grade level, those kinds of things. So it's interesting because our second grader, she can tell you what level she's on. Uh-huh. And so her sister, who's in kindergarten, has heard all of this leveled talk and is, you know, trying to get almost trying to catch up to her sister who's two grade levels ahead of her uh-huh. <laughs> but it, so how do you feel about that as someone who i mean did you have at barnes and noble did you have people coming in moms or parents or even kids who were like well i read on a level g so can you help me find a level g book so it's been long enough since i've worked at barnes and noble that no i don't think that that was instated at the time at least not where I was. Right. I mean, it has to do with, you know, policies right. and 
Yeah. And, and probably more like state policies than anything else. But even so, I mean, sometimes kids would come in and ask for um, specific like levels or their parents would ask for, you know, chapter books or um, early readers or, you know, stuff like that. Or, but most of the time they would come in and say, um, I read these kinds of books and tell me titles. And then we would go like look at similar books. Um, but I tell you what, working at Barnes and Noble was one of my favorite jobs ever. Um, because it's low stress. Um, there are a bunch of different parts of it that are creative, but then there are also parts of it that are like very, um, you know, just like straightforward, you know, you go through and you pull out the books that they're returning or, you know, you rearrange books on the shelf and make sure they're in the right place and that kind of thing. Um, um, but I loved, I loved being able to help kids find the books they were looking for. Cause a lot of times they came in looking for something specific. Like they didn't just come into browse kids didn't at least. And so, like, you take them to the book that they're looking for, and they would get so excited and be like, yes, I got my book. And you're like, this is awesome. And they're like, thank you so much. You're like, you're welcome. Whereas if I was working in the adult section, I really wouldn't get that reaction. Uh, no. No, no, no. I, and it's so interesting. I, I think that's one of the magical things about kids and reading. And yeah. for me, as a former, you know, reading interventionist, to watch our second grader get into chapter books and our kindergartner say things like, oh, I can't read that. I mean, what does it say? The frog and the toad? And I'm like, yeah, that's what it says. And she goes, oh, I just read that, you know. To, awesome. to see the, the magic kind of a unlock is one of the things that's so incredible. And yeah. so this is one of my girls know, you know, every parent has the thing that their kids figure out. And so my kids know, like, if we go to Barnes and Noble, I'm probably going to buy them whatever book they want. <laughs> I mean, no, we're not going to go to Barnes and Noble and buy one of the plush toys or something like that. Or, you know, but if they want a book, yeah, that's probably going to be something yeah. that I always say yes to. Right. So, yeah. So, th you know, we're coming up on summer. We So they'll go and they'll register for summer reading program at the library. And then also we'll do the summer reading program at our Barnes and Noble too. Nice. And it, it just – so part of me is thinking, okay, so they're eight and almost six. So how how long will this exist? Right? So I go to Barnes and Noble and I still buy books from Barnes and Noble. In fact, we, we went two weekends ago and I got two – Newberry Award winners, I think I was telling you about one, that I was mm -hmm. like, gosh, I haven't read young adult literature in a long time, and I'm kind of missing this place in my life <laughs> that I yeah. spent so much time reading and knowing different authors and Newberry Award winners and those kinds of things. And then the other thing is, I, but I also order a lot of books on Amazon. So, you know, we are in this time period where we're used to getting books in the mail, which like our parents didn't do, right? I mean, we got right. those encyclopedias that you could buy like one per, you know, you could buy a whole set over the course of three years or whatever it was. Yeah, we didn't do that either. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> or like you could get the the nicely bound gold leafed classics, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that you same thing you buy, you know, you pay a certain amount each month, and then you over the course of three years, two years, get that kind of thing. So right. This is an interesting time period because you 
wonder, okay, what is their experience going to be like? Like, are they going to be reading on Kindles and on their computers mostly? Are they going to, instead of going to someone like you at Barnes & Noble, say to Amazon, oh, I like these, or Amazon has that built-in thing, right? You may also like, or customers who bought this book also bought this book. Or, I mean, Barnes & Noble has that when you print out the receipt, too. Yeah, I I don't necessarily trust the algorithm, so... Um, because you're used to consulting people, but, you know, for the 8-year-old and 6-year-old who've always existed in this kind of system and have had success, relatively good success with it, like, is that well, what they're reading they, experience? Though? Like, they're 8 and 6. Have they gone online to buy a book and when they buy a book then they see the recommended books and they pick one of those and then enjoy it or are you just saying that because someday they will do that but they haven't done it yet because at this point I still feel like I mean for kids especially the books that they read are based on word of mouth recommendations from people from you and from their friends well, yes, they're so, physical books, but the the reading that they have to do for their classroom, they have this online system where they read their ebooks. And yes, it does work in recommended like this. Oh, you read this one well, now read this one. And that's exactly how they do it, just like Netflix. You like this show, so you'll probably like this one. So the online reading component of their classrooms is very much like that. No, they don't go on Amazon and do it, but they do work that way with their independent reading that they have for school. So how is that going to transfer once they get out of school? You know, know. are they going to get so used to that? Because for us, even when, well, when I was watching TV growing up, it was only, we only, we watched that TGIF Friday. And did you watch that growing up? No, I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. (laughs) Well, that wasn't a, a it wasn't a thing for me. So, you know, that's one of the things that they're that they're used to consuming is that, oh, this thing, this Netflix, whoever Netflix is, has recommended this show because I liked this show. And I really did like that one. So let me try that one. And so they do trust that. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting kind of kind of system. I'm very, you know, I'm wary of Amazon because I know sometimes they just package things that are, you know, for some other reason, right? So I have some critical literacy involved in, wait a second, that's just an algorithm. It's not an actual person who knows my reading habits. And I bought this book for a class. No, I'm not going to personally choose, like, to read only in this genre. <laughs> um, well, so that's, I guess, a thing to think about is, like, how much um, skepticism of technology that you raise, nurture into your children, you know, right. like how much do you allow them to embrace it and how much do you um, require them to think critically about it? So this is something that Sam and I have been talking about because we have just been doing, we've been doing Blue Apron. Mm-hmm. And Blue Apron is, um, you know, the thing, it's the meal service, I guess you would call it, but you pick how many meals you want delivered to your house, you pay a certain amount of money and the box with all of the ingredients for three meals shows up on your doorstep. So you can pick your dietary needs if you don't want to do meat, if you don't want to do red meat, if you don't want to do shellfish, you know, you get to pick the different things and then you get all the ingredients that you'll need for that. 
And so we were talking about this. Okay, so we've been doing this just for three meals a week because at this point in our lives with a six-month-old and working as much as we work, the idea of knowing what we're going to cook, like instead of trying to figure out something, (laughs) Uh is really helpful. Or instead of going to the grocery store and being like, oh, my gosh, I forgot the lemons. Can you run to the store and get the lemons? You know, that constant thing of, okay, we we were cooking a lot at home, but we were constantly out of something that we thought we were going to have. So we were running back to the grocery store to have it all in a box that comes is pretty convenient. Mm -hmm. Plus, we wanted to see, you know, how this food service industry is kind of changing so now we realize we I just got a notification and probably because we are Blue Apron subscribers we had um, a big campaign for Publix Apron which is you get a certain amount of recipes and they either package it for you or you know you have somebody at the public store who walks you through what ingredients you need to do these recipe cards Uh uh-huh so this is the thing about blue apron it comes with a recipe card so like last night we had spinach pesto gnocchi which was delicious Mm -hmm. now we've been making basil pesto for a long time and then we thought you know then we see how they recommend you do it and in my brain i'm going oh well we can do this without ordering blue apron later because now we know, okay, what kind of gnocchi to buy, what kind of things that they suggest. Right. So you're learning, you know, for, in a lot of ways, you're learning how to cook and how to cook with different ingredients than you than might be your go-to gr- ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just fascinating to me. So when we got we got what did we have like a some kind of curry the other night, and I was like, we had all of the ingredients in our house to make this, except for. <laughs> you know, the meat or whatever, but we could have subbed this for that and we could do this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of an awesome experience to be like, oh, I can cook gnocchi. Oh, I can cook curry, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can... <laughs> yeah. And I don't have to just cook the curry that we always cook. Like, I can experiment and go out in, in this way. But last night, for instance, um, you were supposed to make a garlic paste... And I was like, yeah, the pesto recipes that I've seen, you add a little bit of lemon to cut the garlic a little bit with acid. And this didn't recommend this. So this is coming across as really garlicky to us. Uh And so you're starting, you know, you're like, oh, cross comparison of ingredients and recipes. And it's just an interesting experience. So all that to say, we were talking about, okay, this summer, in the summer, we have our girls for longer periods of time. So we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to go to the family plan? Are we going to cut back on it? Like, will they even eat this stuff? Uh And Sam was saying, I think that this is maybe the future of how they're going to cook. Like, you're going to say, these are the recipes I want, and the ingredients are going to show up on your doorstep. Because Amazon is even delivering groceries now, or you have HelloFresh that delivers your groceries to your door. This Mm -hmm. has been a thing in, in Europe for a long time. When I was in Germany people had this every week that they I mean it was like the milkman but the the produce and fruit and vegetable man would show up well I mean I think that's the same kind of concept as a community supported agriculture to CSA um have you heard of that um, yeah I'm well that's what you do right 
Right. Well, so where you have CS- a community garden. I was trying to think. Sorry. I was like, it's I, so I it's like not exactly this. community garden. What it is, is you sign up with a local farm to receive a box of produce either once a week or every other week or whatever. And then that's where you get your produce from. You don't like buy it from the grocery store because you wouldn't need to because you have plenty of whatever's in season. Um, so then like you get exposed to a lot more vegetables that way too, than you probably ever would if you went to, um, the grocery store every week to buy your, your produce, you pick out the things that you like, and those are the things that you always eat. But if you go with the CSA and you're going with what's in season locally, then you get, you know, like in the winter, you get winter squash and turnips and, um, things like that and um, like leeks and, you know, all kinds of things that maybe maybe you don't normally eat. Um, and they send a list of recipes as well for here's how you can cook these things that are in your box. Um, so, so yeah, so that like conceptually that has been around, I think, for a while. And technically, I think I might appreciate the CSA a little bit more just because it has that locavore, like, slow food aspect to it where um, something like Amazon delivering me a box full of groceries still kind of like I can get things out of season um, and that kind of thing. But Right. So that's one of the things Blue Apron does, though, is they um, support local farmers. So, you know, you have a guarantee that that's coming from I can't remember the, the parameters. But for instance, like we just got our box and they said because of availability of breakfast radishes we've made a substitution to red radishes because that's what was local to where you are Mm -hmm. and so like last week it was there wasn't any arugula fresh from where we were or from the farms that they use and so we had kale instead you know Mm -hmm. so you know teaching you to do that but it yeah there is some sense that it's not necessarily seasonal eating although Maybe it is because you only have a certain number of meals that you can choose from. So we haven't done it long enough to see a change in season and to see if, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is something that changes pretty drastically from season to season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, but this is a fascinating experience. So those of us who are experimenting with this, whether it's community-supported agriculture or eating locally or eating seasonally, you know, this is something we're going back to. This is or a- having your books recommended to you by a live person versus a computer. Right. But how you know what is that going to look like in the next generation? So so Sam and I were talking about so. Both of our grandparents grew up on farms. Well, and Sam, you know, Sam's family has been in farming for a long time. Well, okay, our parents kind of broke away from that in a certain sense because there was, at least in South Carolina, you know, farmers were poor. And so if you were making something for your family, you were doing something besides farming, and you weren't eating from your garden because – it was kind of a status symbol to be able to go to the grocery store, to be able to go out to eat, to not have to depend on the land in that way. But now our generation, you know, we're going, no, we want, you know, we want that aspect. Yeah. It's a status symbol to be able to eat from your land now. Well, we're going back the the other direction because you have the time and you have the leisure to actually have the land. A lot of people, for a lot of people, you have the land to tend to a garden and and that's something in our overworked society that is a luxury for some people. Mm-hmm. 
But I but okay, so you know, with this change, you're you're getting Amazon and different things that have been going on in Europe for a long time, but have finally come to America in a certain sense. So, like my sister-in-law, she ordered six bananas from Amazon because she just had twins and they have a three-year-old and like not going to the grocery store is a really nice break for her. Right. But yeah. instead of six bananas, she got six bunches of bananas. Oh my. So she got 36 bananas. Or, that's a lot of smoothies. You know, like they have three kids, but yeah, that's a, that's a lot of bananas to go through. Uh huh. So some of these things that those of us who are just experimenting with HelloFresh or these different services that are kind of competing against the traditional, oh, I'm going to go to the grocery store and we're going to do this, is there's a learning curve. Well, yeah. But but I think also, I, I do think that this, what you said is correct, you know, these food services, but also community-supported agriculture those kinds of things are a status symbol too, because if you're on SNAP or EBT, like if right. you're on food stamps, you have to go to the grocery store. Right. You don't, you don't have any option. And that that's why I think the upper class of grocery stores like Whole Foods or Earth Fair or those kinds of things, they don't offer very much SNAP or EBT credit. And so you can have a different experience there. You know, yes. As opposed to going to Bilo or Walmart for your groceries, because you can choose your grocery store because you don't have to depend on right those things. Right. So <laughs> the baby, he's hilarious. He has things to say. Yeah, he's skipping a nap right now. <laughs> mm. Silly boy. What do you so? Think? So what's the world going to be like for you, huh? <laughs> So I think um, as far as like the as far as like books in the publishing industry goes, like, you know, there's this temptation to be like, oh, Amazon's the great evil and whatever. And there are a lot of ways in which I'm like, OK, I don't want Amazon controlling my life. Um, and it's kind of, you know, how can I keep that from happening? Um, but then to a certain extent, like, you know, Amazon's not going away anytime soon. It's it's here. And right, so, if like, people are ordering the, their bananas from Amazon, like probably. Right. So like dealing with, um, you know, you know, sorry, marketing you your books and publishing and stuff like that, you have to deal with Amazon. Um, but, but what that means, I think, is that like the actual, not the virtual, but the actual marketplace is going to have to change. And so like that's why Borders is disappearing more and more quickly and it's why Barnes and Noble is going to be next on the list if they're not careful um but because if all you want is to like have the experience of you know whatever um the marketing powers that be or um or some algorithm somewhere to gives you a recommendation of a book to read based on other books that you like, you can just as easily get that from Amazon as you can from like walking into a bookstore. And I mean, that's what, what, um, Barnes and Noble kind of does with their layouts and stuff. And they get, you know, like, um, monthly quarterly, um, reports from their, from corporate that say, okay, this is how you're going to rearrange. And these are the end caps that you have to have for this amount of time and things like that. And so they, they um, 
spotlight and they market specific things at specific times, not based on anything that you personally, the consumer, want, but based on what their marketing reports tell them is going to be hot or what they want to push or what they have too much of or, you know, things like that. Um, so, so I think Barnes and Noble's challenge and any smaller independent bookstores challenge is to, um, stock their employees, stock their staff with people who know the books that they're selling, um, and who can be that thing that's different from Amazon. You know, they're not just pointing to an end cap because that was what corporate said they had to put there. They're, you know, like when a customer comes in to to look at books and talk to them, um, they're able to say, oh, have you read this book? And oh, I read this book too. And here's what I liked about it. And um, it's the personal connection that they're really going to have to um, capitalize on. And I think, um, I think it's possible. I haven't, I don't know like I haven't crunched all the numbers on what um, it takes to keep a good indie bookstore alive, but I I think that um, they're really going to have to capitalize on that on that personal connection over the oh well Amazon says this or oh yeah well you know you're coming into this store because you want to buy this book you heard about online somewhere maybe we don't have it because we're not Amazon we don't have like an infinite warehouse that we can just like pull the book out of thin air and give it to you we have limited space that we can stock in um but so it'll be a lot of like specialization and and employees who are known for their um for their ability to like direct people to books that they're going to enjoy tastemakers if you will yeah so that's an interesting you know kind of experience and change and dynamic and it it just makes me wonder, like, how what is that going to look like? Because I don't know if you read, but, like, Wendy's is changing a certain number of attendance, live service people to kiosks, just like in the grocery stores where you had the self-checkout kind of option. Uh-huh. You know, and, and these kinds of things, I can remember when there was a self-checkout and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can live my dream of being a grocery store clerk and, <laughs> and I can scan all this stuff. You know, we used to play grocery store all the time and that was my favorite thing in the world. I was like, I can fulfill my life's calling, perhaps. And then I realized it was a bit more difficult than I thought it was. <laughs> but, yeah, how is this going to look and who are... Barnes and Noble and different people, obviously, probably what we're going to see is a reduction in staff. So are we only going to have expert experts in Barnes and Noble who read a lot, you know, who can really touch base between the consumer or the customer and the need or the desire? And also, I think this is an interesting thing with the local indie bookstore because that's a more personal touch. So exactly what you're saying, we had a a classic example. So we went into Barnes and Noble to look for spy books and a month, uh, six weeks ago, they had a whole end cap full of spy books. And I was like, great, Uh we'll go to the children's section. I know exactly where it is. We're wandering around the children's section. And I was like, I'm seriously thinking I'm losing, I have lost my mind because (laughs) I could not find it. I couldn't find anything and we couldn't find but two books on spy stuff. It had all disappeared. So not only is it promotional material that appears and disappears, but it doesn't go on the shelves. A lot of it it disappears, disappears. Right. So that's another thing that will, I 
can result in two things, either making Barnes & Noble irrelevant to a local market or pushing the consumer, oh, I'm seeing it right now. I've got to get it right now because this is going to change. Right. So, and there's no way to tell which which way that'll go. Not yet. I think we'll, like, the the more we do this or the more we observe, the more we're going to, we'll be able to tell soon enough what the marketing trend is. Um, but, I mean, Barnes & Noble has done a good job of hanging on so far and not changing its model too much if if I'm right about that. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't worked there in a decade, so. Well, like and this is interesting because our local Barnes & Noble just got their e-reader section. I mean, how many Barnes & Noble have had a whole section dedicated to e-readers and ours just got the nook nook? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, that's ironic, too, because I feel like they discontinued the nook. Didn't right? They? Well, and I feel like our Barnes & Noble is just so behind because we go to the Asheville Barnes & Noble. That's a two-story Barnes & Noble that's really nice and updated. Uh-huh. And then you go to ours that's in the rundown mall in Columbia. And <laughs> you go in there sometimes and I'm, I think to myself, I know why people just choose Amazon because this isn't inviting at all. <laughs> but yeah. you go to the one in Asheville and you're like, oh, this is nice. But again, see, that's why I'm like, you know, it's definitely going to be about the um, the personal touch and the consumer experience. And it, it goes for all parts of it, like how you feel parking in the parking lot, as well as like how you feel, you know, purchasing a book or asking for assistance or whatever. Right. So... So it's going to be interesting because you go, you can go to Amazon and I can even uh, our eight year old can search spy books and get a whole result of things. But she goes to uh, and we did. We walked up to the person in the children's section and said, do you have any spy books? Nope, we don't. So but does she even know like that's the other thing is whoever's in the children's section, do they know or did they like go look at a computer you know, like, because that's the other thing is that not all of the employees are that well-versed in all of the, um, all of the inventory. Right. So. Well, and see, that's the thing is having, just like you're saying, having knowledgeable staff. And exactly. this is the classic, um, shop around the corner in New York. <laughs> You've got mail, right? Yes, exactly. That's one of my favorite movies. Mine too. <laughs> So that's the thing. That's the thing that's going to be interesting, I think, is so in and Barnes & Noble, you have a customer who depends on customer service agent who looks it up on his or her computer and mm-hmm. the customer has to wait. On Amazon, you control that experience and you control the information and how quickly you get it. And it's for- true. You know, for people who are used to being in control of those things, are they going to, you know, engage in a system where they don't have that control and they have to wait on somebody else? Well, again, like I, like I was saying, you know, I think it depends on what you expect when you go as a consumer. Do you expect to walk in and walk out with the exact book that you were looking for? Or um, are you going for the experience of um, speaking Pulsing. to somebody yes. about... You know, something else and maybe ending up with something that wasn't exactly what you went in there for, but that is going to be exactly what you were looking for or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so it's not always exactly 
it's a, it's a different experience. And I think the bookstores need to, um, need to recognize that. Yeah. Push that, like the lingering of it. And the fact that, no, you can choose beyond the little carousel of recommended books. And who knows, you might discover something that you never, ever meant to read. Right. Which goes to what Sam was talking about via email. Do you remember Which, what that that bundling service that he was talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, I think that that's different though, because when you buy a bundle, maybe you buy it for one particular author, but you're like, you get a bunch of different experiences at the same time. Oh yeah, I was trying to look it up, but it's playing in that same kind of realm, right? Mm-hmm. Of we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. It's it's an interesting time, I think. And for, you know, for me as a publisher, it's the same thing. How do I engage authors? And how do I say, okay, yes, this is my model. No, I don't have the distribution of a Barnes & Noble. But can you really depend on that distribution? Just because it's in a store doesn't mean that the store attendants or clerks are going to direct people to that book. Right. Yeah, that's the other thing. So how do you make it on the recommended list for staff? And what I've seen in our Barnes & Noble is that um, they have staff recommendations, which is something that's existed at least in these local indie bookstores for a long time. So mm-hmm. the people who go to independent bookstores depend on the fact that the people who are there read a lot. And they are reading to discover new authors and indie authors, Mm-hmm. Right? So you can read a book that's not a bestseller and say, oh, I, I read that book before it was a big thing, mm-hmm. which is a culture that they're developing. Oh, come here and discover the next big thing or come here and discover a local author. And they're, they, I think the success of the independent bookstore is the same success as, you know, community agricultural service or the eat local or the farm to table movement that's going on in food. Mm-hmm is support what's going on here. This is a locally owned business that supports locally local authors. Let's keep it in the family kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I mean, they need to be able to reach beyond, you know, local to sometimes. Right. So what if you're in the midst of a community that has an economic downturn? Well, then you're kind of screwed. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I do think that this movement that we're seeing in food is going to impact publishing and, well, and sales and marketing in general. I agree. But, again, I we don't know. still think that, and maybe this is just my resistance or whatever, but I still think that, like, having an actual human behind the recommendations makes a difference um, as opposed to it being completely driven by computer and I I also I read a book last summer called free to fall um in which there was a sinister plot um behind this particular app that was supposed to like monitor your preferences and your dietary needs and like all different kinds of things and tell you what you should and shouldn't do um or what you should and shouldn't eat or what you should and shouldn't read and you know like all kinds of things like that and it was very like I don't know very big brothery. <laughs> right. So, so like there's a point where you get to where you're like, okay, so how much do I rely on a computer and how much do I rely on word of mouth? And then how much do I just rely on my own instinct? And the whole point of the app was to re- remove your reliance on your instinct to make you not trust yourself. 
So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so perhaps we should include some of those readings in our eight-year-olds and almost six-year-olds reading plan. Definitely, definitely. Some George Orwell for your six-year-old would be highly recommended. Well, I was thinking more like, you know, The Giver, <laughs> but, you know. 1984, come on. Oh, uh, yeah, well, they'll probably, play. actually, the eight-year-old would probably get into that. Um, yeah, so. You should make her read Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Ray Bradbury. I know. Well, and she's kind of in this phase right now, too, where one of her good friends doesn't read all that much. And so she's kind of too cool for reading right now. Uh huh. So this summer, you know, the reading teacher and me, I'm like, oh, we're going to we're going to do some reading. (laughs) We're not going to be too cool for reading this summer. Oh, no. But it is. I mean, it is a model, right? So. There is a correlation between how many books kids see in the house and whether they become readers and their and their education level, too. I mean, uh-huh. So, you know, if a child in their home setting isn't seeing books or isn't seeing adults reading, then they will decipher and determine that reading isn't important. Mm-hmm. Which is another reason I try to take them to Barnes Noble and say, oh, I've been looking for this book. Oh, I, I'm so excited about, oh, you won't believe this book I just read. That's awesome. The things we do for our kids, right? <laughs> the I future mean, I'm generation. Sure it's, a, it's torture for you. How many undiscovered bags of Barnes and Noble books do you have right now? Just, I, none. I don't think. <laughs> that don't you think. know of. <laughs> and this time I bought two books and I've already read one. And, okay, so I'll tell you about the other one I'm reading. It's called The One and Only Ivan. Uh-huh. And it's a Newbery Award winner, too. And it's about a gorilla who's in a zoo. That's all I'll say. But it's, <laughs> it's written from the gorilla's point of view. Nice. Yes. And it's, rem- oh, did you ever read Water for Elephants? No, I haven't read that. Oh, my gosh. It's a really good book. That um, so I'd hi- I'd that highly one. recommend this. Cool. I the only like because that's like kind of a circus ish book, right? Water that's for right. elephants. Yeah. Um, the only circus ish book that I've read. Um, and why can't I remember it right now? I don't remember. It was about the first woman tiger trainer. It was like a fictionalized account of her life. Nice. Um, it was a really interesting book. So what are you reading now? Um, so right now I'm still kind of working my way through, um, uh, what's it called? Through DIY MFA um, to finish that up so that I can write my review of it before the book comes out um, because it will be out soon. So DIY, MFA, and then I like have a couple of or a couple of or like a hundred books on deck to read after that that is done. I'm like all these different things. Slash a hundred. Oh, the book that I was just talking about. Now I know what it is. The about the tiger trainer. It's the it's called The Final Confession of Mabel Stark. I'll put that in our show notes. Show notes are at thinking.fm, thinking out loud, 113. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So if people um, want to talk to you about the future, uh, the future of books, of books, sure, or <laughs> of publishing, or of the food industry. I mean, you're a foodie, right? Yes, I am. How could they find you? You can find me in a million places. You can find me on <laughs> Facebook um, at Writing Refinery. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Goodreads, um, Tumblr, even a Writing Refinery. Um, and you can find me on the web as well at writingrefinery.com or um, at elizabethkaufman.com. And I also have an Elizabeth Kaufman author page on Facebook. Um, so connect with me in any of those places and talk to me about what you think about books and book selling and book recommending um, and how you found your favorite books. Like were they things that Amazon recommended to you or were they things that um, – that somebody that you know and love handed you and you just totally connected with. Or were they like what I just found and at an end cap that said Newbery Award winners at Barnes & Noble. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to talk about publishing and the future of publishing or, you know, the difference between being in Barnes & Noble and being in an independent bookstore, you can find me, HarrelsonPress.com, at HarrelsonPress on Twitter, and Harrelson Press on Facebook. If you want to know more about what I'm writing about, you can also find me at mariana.net. This is interesting. We're going to have to continue this conversation, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll, um, actually, we have our, our kids this weekend for the Memorial Day weekend, so I'll, I'll do some research with them. Nice. I look forward to that. <laughs> Isn't that why you have kids to do experiments, social experiments? That's why you them. have kids. <laughs> Well, until next time, eat local. And read local. And write as a local author in your community. Yay. (laughs) Bye.